Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you for gathering here this morning, and thanks for bringing the church into a YMCA gymnasium. And I want to talk to you about what we just saw there on the video. By God's grace, uh, we've had the privilege of being part of church planting, not only being a church plant, but a, a church that has helped start churches around the world. We are helping to plant churches in Rio. You've helped by giving. You're helping plant churches in North Africa, in the Middle East. You're helping plant a Spanish-speaking church that is meeting as Crosspoint Espanol right now at the downtown YMCA, helping to further the work in South Florida, Cross Point, Jupiter, like that has been part of the story of this church by God's grace. And as we get into the book of Acts this morning, we wrap up our series on witnesses. What I want to put before you is this, that in order for us to be the church that Jesus has called us to, uh, we need to actually know the end. We got to pay attention to the end of this story to actually have it inform how we're to continue to live today as a group of people who are missionaries sent out, that this isn't a story as we've been studying the book of Acts. And so if you're new to this, let me just kind of catch you up to speed. The big idea is that Jesus is the one who's building his church. He said he would build his church, that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand. All right, Jesus is on the move. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's not just a story of, okay, that was Jesus' work, and now Acts, it's our turn, and it's about us and what we're going to do. No, it's Jesus is still building his church, and we, on the one hand, just get to sit back. We get to witness that. We get to sit back and just sort of look and say, God, look at all the things that you're doing. And that video is just a tiny little snapshot of what the Lord is doing all around the world. And we're talking about this family of churches that we're connected to called Acts 29, which is just a tiny microscopic part of all that he's doing through other denominations and networks and movements and independent churches, all these things that the Lord is at work. And yet, he invites us to play. He invites us to participate. He says, you not only get to witness this, but you get to bear witness to the reality of Jesus. And so what I wanna do this morning is conclude our study, this kind of survey through the book of Acts, and we're gonna look at the concluding verses. And if we dial into this, I think it really will help us inform what we're to be about as a church, what we have been by God's grace, but at the same time, how do we grow in this? that there's so many things in that video that you watched just a moment ago that are still in the category of aspirational. These are hopes and dreams and of desires. We have not arrived. We are not there. We won't ever fully be there, but these are things that we want to strive to be about, that we would drill deep, that we would be about reaching wide, that we would see men, women, and children come to know Jesus, to be discipled by him, to know him, to learn to obey all that he has commanded. So I want to invite you. We're going to be... In Acts chapter 28 this morning, we're going to look at the concluding verses, 16 to 31. So if you brought a Bible, please turn there. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's some paperback ones on the back tables. Get up, grab one of those. You can take that home with you if you need a Bible. The other option that you have as well, a good resource for all things about like looking to take a next step, but also to follow along with the sermon is if you get your phone out and you go to cpwp.life. Swipe over the second card there, it says message notes. And anything that's up on the screen this morning, including the passage we'll be in, is there. You're not allowed to use your phone to check the scores of the masters, but you can go and check the message notes, all right? So cpwp.life is where you'll find that. Now, Acts chapter 28, here's the conclusion to this great epic story. And the context is this, the apostle Paul has been, it's just in these last chapters, I mean, it's just suffering, trial, hardship, one after another. 
He's beaten. There's mobs of people that are turning against him. Uh, he has his own people turned against him. He goes on trial. He goes back and forth to different courtrooms. They don't know what to do with him. I mean, oftentimes he is beaten. He's left for dead. They throw rocks at him. They think that they've done away with him, but he comes back and he goes to preach in that very same town. And Finally, Paul ends up appealing to Caesar, and so we looked at this last week. He is being transported to Rome so he can have this trial to stand before Caesar for, really, he's under trial for the proclamation of Jesus and of building Jesus' church and being about that work. We looked at this incredible shipwreck last week and the storms that, that came upon him, and so where we pick up the story is Paul in Rome. So would you do this? Would you stand as I read God's word this morning? Acts 28, 16 to 31. Verse 16, we pick up the story. It says this, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Verse 19. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everything, or, sorry, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Verse 23. So when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So think about this for just a moment. The Apostle Paul, it's been this epic journey. Week after week, we're looking and we're like, oh my goodness, is he going to make it out alive? What's going to happen to him? There's all these trials. There's all these tribulations, all these things that, that are happening. And then we get to the end of the book, all right? And so maybe you've looked ahead, all right? Maybe you're familiar with this, but if you're just reading it for the first time and you're like, okay, we're finally going to hear what happens to Paul. Did you notice how it ends? He lived two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, great. But it's like, is that the end? I mean, it begs that question, doesn't it? It's like, wait, How'd the trial go? What happened? Did he go to Caesar? Like, what happened there? Is this the end of it for Paul? Like, where are all the details? 
Maybe you followed a TV show for years, right? And there's one, and you're kind of waiting, like back in the day when we used to watch TV week to week, right? Maybe you're like, how is this going to end? Or you just binged watched it on Netflix and it's like the next episode will start in 10, 9, 8, whatever it is. Like you get to that point, you hope there's some sort of resolution. And what if that show that you've been waiting for for years, I'm still scarred by the ending of The Lost, just you know, for whatever it's worth, right? Like, wait, what? That's the end? Like you have these sort of moments where you're just like, wait, okay, or sort of this to be continued. Like, no, 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 I want there to be some resolution. And that's how the book of Acts ends. Now, this, I need us to see, is highly intentional by the author. God is using a man named Luke to write this account. Luke didn't run out of paper. His pen didn't dry out. He wasn't like, oh, that's all I got. I don't know how this resolves. He knows But under the inspiration of the Spirit, he chooses to end the story this way. This was the intentional end. I would say he wrote this end in there. Like from the very beginning, he knew this is where it was going to conclude. Why? Why in the world would Luke write this so that we, a couple thousand years later, get to this point where we're just like, huh, what? That's it. It's because it's meant to take us back. It's meant to take us back to Jesus' some of his final words to the disciples as they're gathered. What we looked at when we started this series back in the fall, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is after Jesus is resurrected, but before he ascends into the heavens, he says this, you will receive power. You'll receive, it's like this dynamite, you will receive this power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, he says. I'm gonna work in and through you. In Jerusalem, it's gonna start there, then out to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. What we have been seeing through the book of Acts is this, that it started in Jerusalem, then it went to Judea, and then it surprised everybody when the gospel went out and people became followers of Jesus in places like Samaria, and then it's beginning to go to all the known world, and now Paul ends up in Rome. But here's the key thing. Rome is not the ends of the earth. Rome is the center of the known world at the time. That's where everything flowed from. And so Paul finds himself here in the story ends here as Luke writes this account that we have as the book of Acts. Why? Because it's meant to showcase that there's a continuing chapter, the network that we're part of, right? Did they, did they misunderstand? It's like Acts 29. Did they not know that there's only 28 chapters in the Bible, right? No, there's, there's an intentional name in there. Why? It's because we're meant to play our part. What Luke is anticipating is that people a couple thousand years later, like us, would be gathered and we'd be studying this word together and we would see, wait, it ends like this? What how is this supposed to resolve? Like, where does this thing go? And it's like, ah, oh, the story's not done yet. That the gospel is meant to go forth to the ends of the earth. And sometimes the ends of the earth is gonna mean you walking over and talking to your neighbor and being a missionary in this context. And sometimes it's gonna take you to the other side of the world where you don't know the language and the customs and the, the cultures. That there's this mission that we've been sent on. And so the question becomes for us, as it has throughout this entire series, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you engaged in this mission? Or are you leaving that to other people? Say, well, yeah, isn't that what we pay the pastors for? Isn't that why we send the missionaries? Now, there's this calling, if you're a follower of Jesus, that you will bear witness. The theologian D.A. Carson said these words. He says, as Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. So think about these things for a moment. He says, what are your aspirations? To make money? To get married? To travel? 
to see your grandchildren grow up, to find a new job, to retire early. None of these is inadmissible. None of these are bad things, he says. None is to be despised. The question, though, is whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central aspiration is squeezed to the periphery or choked out of existence entirely. I don't believe any of us that are here as followers of Jesus set out to squeeze out mission, to push it off to the side. But let's be honest. The reality of this broken world with the trials and tribulations, sometimes those are massive monumental things. And sometimes they're just like, did the car break down again, right? Like it's just the annoyances, some of the things in life that we have to deal with. And we can get, I can get very consumed with those things. And God in his grace wants to jar us, wants to wake us up and say there's so much more that he has for us if we would play our part. And so here's what I wanna do in just kind of answering this question this morning. Like what are we, what's the takeaway? As the book wraps up, as we see that we're part of this next chapter, that it's this continuation of the story, the reason that there's not this definitive ending is because it's still being written. That you and I and the generations that will follow like have a part to play. The generations that preceded us, like you're here because somebody faithfully talked about Jesus. Maybe somebody told your neighbor who told you or somebody told your parents and they told you. And somebody along the way was bearing witness to the reality of King Jesus, his life, death, his resurrection. The promise that one day he's going to come back and he's going to set everything right. And your life got transformed by that. We want to see that continue. So what are we to learn? What things can we be encouraged in, challenged? I got four things uh, here for us as we, as we close. And the first thing is this. Look back with me at verse 16. The first thing we need to learn if we're going to be faithful missionaries is just step back and remember, God is faithful. This has been his story from the very beginning. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he chooses to work in and through us. And God will see to it that his word, his gospel, goes out to the ends of the earth. Do you remember the Lord promised that, you know, Paul was like, he got this assurance, like you will actually get to Rome. God makes these commitments. We see it even in the storm passage, the shipwreck last week. No lives will be lost, but do you trust me? God is faithful. And so we pick up in verse 16, and when he, we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. That we see the Lord's faithfulness. Now, here's what I think is possible, I'll say this, this is in my own life. It's possible for me to give lip service to that, sort of intellectual assent to that, to say, yep, I get it. I probably got some verses I could throw at you to tell you that God is faithful, that he's sovereign, that he's good. Yes and amen to all of that. And would we also, though, admit that sometimes it's easy to know that intellectually, but it hasn't sunk into our hearts. We're not actually experiencing the reality that God is faithful. That we can get, again, so busy, so preoccupied, we lose sight of that. So one of the things I want to encourage us in, that the ending chapter here, to encourage us in this ongoing chapter of this missionary work that we're called to, is to see, first, just rest and trust that God is faithful. And yet, God in his grace has given us means by which you and I would experience the reality of the gospel so that we can faithfully tell other people. I was reading a book this week, and I came across this illustration. In it, the guy was talking about parts of the country uh, that have things called blizzards. And so some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, and some of you are like, yes, and that's why I'm in Florida now, whatever it happens to be, right? But there are places, you know, in the Midwest, and the Plains, all these different places that sometimes will get hit with massive blizzards, even in April, right? Um, and so you... One of the things that would take place as he told this, this particular story, what was common 
is that you oftentimes you had these farming communities and yes, the family might have been safe and, and kind of hold up together in, in the house, but there are also animals to check on, all right? And it was possible, if you've ever been in a terrible blizzard, all right, in the distance that one would have to walk from the house out to the barn where the animals are, like one could actually get so disoriented because of the snow that's coming down, the wind that is whipping around, and just this kind of whiteout conditions that there are people over the years that have actually died simply trying to make it from the barn back to their house because they're just like, I got so lost, I couldn't find my way. And so what they began to do, there was a technique that was developed just to sort of take a, a rope and to string it up between the house and where they were attempting to get to maybe go check on the animals. And then on their way back, they could take that rope and just sort of use it as a guide in order to get back home. And that particular image I think is helpful because one of the things we have to wrestle through is not just giving intellectual kind of assent to like, oh, I know that God is faithful, but how do you and I actually experience that? Maybe a way to think about it is this. Do you have a guide rope? Do you have something that is leading you so that you might experience the faithfulness, the presence of God? It's not to earn anything from him, all right? You're not making God faithful, but you are putting yourself in an environment. There's certain rhythms, habits, practices that you might have so that you can be a faithful missionary, so you can actually experience God's faithfulness, his kindness, his closeness, his presence, I wanna to continue to put this before you um, so much so that at some point I'm hoping you'll be like, ah, I'm sick of hearing about this and then we'll know, okay, maybe we're succeeding, all right? But to talk about even for us at Crosspoint, what does this rope look like? It's not the only way to think about it, but it's something that we wanna continually put before you is this idea of like, okay, our rope, a way to think about it, pulpit, chair, table, and square. And it quite simply is this, there's a calling for us. If we start with the square, meaning the public square, we're to engage out with our neighbors, to move outside of the walls of the church that gathers on a Sunday, to be salt and light. But part of the discipleship process, part of the rope that the Lord has given to us so we might experience his faithfulness is what's happening right here. This is not the be all end all of church. If your understanding of church is like, yeah, it's when you gather, that's what the pulpit signifies, like this gathering here where the word of God is, is sung, it's proclaimed, it's experienced in communion, all of that. But there's more to it, but it does start here. Things flow out of this. And so let me ask you, is that part of the rope for you? Not some legalistic sense where, you know, you miss a week, somebody's calling you up and being like, oh, so you didn't want to go to heaven, huh, right? Like, it's not that sort of thing. But the Lord, see this as a gift that the Lord has given to you. The chair, like personal spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, time in silence and solitude, things that are so massively countercultural today. Are you getting that time? Are you getting, whether it be in the morning or midday or in the evening, but like you're getting that time to sort of quiet your heart, to reflect, to spend that time. Because this is important, the gathering, but it's also important on an individual level. And the table signifies community. Are you regularly gathering with people around the table? This is why we push things like our group ministries. It's not so you would be busy with things. It's because you need people. Do you feel disconnected? Ask yourself, do I regularly gather here with God's people in this? That's a start, all right? Do you feel disconnected from the Lord? How's your chair time going? Do you feel disconnected from God's people? What's the table look like in your life? And the question becomes, are you prioritizing that? This is part of the rope that the Lord has given to us. Now, again, not in some legalistic way, but this is a gift that you have. So there's an, opportunity, there's an opportunity here to get engaged. And ultimately, then that leads us to be out in the public square. 
But we will not be effective missionaries out in the public square serving people, engaging, helping to sort through, like, what does it look like to faithfully do our, our work as a Christian, all these things, evangelism, all of that flows out of the pulpit, the chair, the time around the table. So that's the rope that we have. So the first thing we learn here, we got to remember that God is faithful, but don't neglect the gifts that the Lord has given to us as his people so we might experience that faithfulness. Now, look with me at 17 to 22. I think there's another lesson that we get in here that trials, because Paul, yes, he's made it to Rome, but did you notice there's a guard with him? And if you read that and you're like, oh, okay, well, there's this guard nearby. Here's how it usually worked in times. Here's how the Romans would set things up. If there was a prisoner to be guarded, even if they had this house that we'll learn that Paul rented and had the space to, to live in and had some freedom, um, oftentimes you were literally chained to that guard, okay? So if you're like, yeah, but I need some introvert time just to me, can't get it, right? Like that person is always with you. They're literally chained to you, and then every few hours a new guard would sort of cycle in, and they'd lock, kind of link up, and there, there you go. And so this is Paul's reality, Yes, he has some freedoms here as he waits trial, but he also is a man that cannot do just whatever he wants. He is under this house arrest, and there is a trial. This is difficult. So 17 to 22, it says, after three days then, which I love this, he arrives and he's like, hey, I gotta talk to some people about Jesus. Three days, all right? He doesn't put it off. He doesn't do what I do. Say, like, yeah, you know, I moved into the neighborhood about a year ago into our new house. I'll get to know those neighbors soon. And then a year goes by and I'm like, oh, I met Mike the other night. True story. I'm like, he's lived across the street from me for over a year now. All right. I'm like, oh, hey, good to meet you. You knew? Well, kind of. All right. So we had that moment, right? Paul, three days in, he's just like, all right, we're going to call some people. And part of this is he's trying to figure out, like, what did the Jews there in Rome know about his story? But he called together the local leaders of the Jews, all right? So we see that. And then all of it leads to this. He says, I have asked to see you and to speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. He's like, guys, I am under this arrest. I'm dealing with this trial. I'm dealing with this difficulty because of the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel was the Messiah that was promised. It's what all of the Old Testament scripture spoke to. It's what the Jewish people that hadn't become followers of Jesus were still longing and waiting for with this anticipation, like when will the Messiah come? And yes, many of them had wrong expectations about ridding themselves of Rome and political things that they were hoping were tied up and all that. But Paul is like, I need to tell you of the hope of Israel. Like Jesus has come that God himself entered into human history, that he was born, it's that, that he took on flesh and blood, he moved into the neighborhood. And what I'm encouraged by in this is this. Paul doesn't use his trials, his suffering as an opportunity to just sort of sit back and be like, woe is me, or you know what, I can't be effective right now, like I've literally got this Roman guard that I'm chained to, like somebody else is more equipped, somebody else has got a better situation. He's like, no, no. This is what the Lord has for me, and I'm going to bear witness regardless of circumstances. In fact, his circumstances themselves will even help speak and reinforce the message that he's wanting to get across. And so this question here, are you stewarding your, your suffering? I gotta be careful with that, because on the one hand, it can be like, dude, do you recognize the suffering? You don't even know half the, the story as if it's just this kind of flippant response, and I don't mean that. But I think it's fair to look at the Apostle Paul and say, man, that guy has dealt with loss and suffering and difficulty. And yet, he doesn't allow that to, for his heart to grow bitter or cold 
There's not a resentment that's growing towards God or toward God's people, but rather there's this growing conviction, this growing awareness of the need that's out there. And he's looking at his situation. And even as he writes, like in the book of Philippians, like you get this this picture of the Apostle Paul is like, yeah, this is cool. Like one Roman guard after another. I got this captive audience. Like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm chained up with Paul. Like that guy never shuts up, right? Um, And so... Are you stewarding your suffering? Are you telling people about Jesus? Are you pointing to the reality? And maybe it's not this full block, don't think stage and microphone and all that, but when somebody asks you how you're doing and you begin to share some of the reality of something that's a struggle and difficulty and, and they're, they're like, oh man, that's really hard and they don't know what to say, but you have an opportunity. You've been given permission even in that moment to, to speak about, but God has been really near us. It's been really hard. Like, share those things. These are opportunities to bear witness. Because part of what happens in this life, uh, maybe you've heard this phrase before, that the medium is the message. Now, that's partly true, all right? The medium helps communicate the message, meaning like, all right, the carrier of the message. And I love the way that the Apostle Paul, I think, embraces this idea. He's saying, listen, like, I'm weak, but in his weakness, he gets to showcase the strength of Jesus, Weak becomes, weakness becomes strength. Death becomes life. Isn't, isn't this the story of the gospel? Isn't this what we're going to look ahead to at Good Friday, this, up, this upcoming Friday, right, where we talk about the reality of the cross? The cross was an execution device. The cross was something that said Rome has won and has had the final say. Nobody gets off the, the cross alive. The cross has this finality to it, but not with Jesus The cross becomes now our symbol of life. People wear it around their necks. They hang it up on walls and in their home. Why? It's not because people have this morbid fascination with execution devices that existed long ago, but rather that thing has become the symbol of strength, not ourselves. So that medium even communicates how upside down the kingdom is. Look at the words that the Apostle Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's talking about you and I as the church with all of our brokenness, all of our failings, all the ways that we screw up, all of this stuff about like mission and all that, and you're like, okay, but you don't know my past week. You don't know what it took even just getting the family here in the car this morning. You don't know where my mind is at, but here's the beautiful good news. God loves to showcase his strength when we admit and recognize our need, our frailty. He says this, but we have this treasure, meaning the truth of the gospel in what? It's not in gold, it's not in something that's gonna hold up, it's in this jars of clay. It's frail, it can break easily, it's brittle, all right, to show that what? That the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If you've ever thought, I gotta get this figured out, I gotta do it in my own strength, you've already missed it. You've misunderstood the gospel. The gospel is you can't do it, but Jesus has done it. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed for sure, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, Yes, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Meaning what? When you showcase your weakness, Not this reveling in your sin and like, oh, look at all the commandments I break. Not that sort of thing, but a recognition like, I can't do this on my own. I don't love God with my whole being, my whole heart. I can't even keep that. I can't love my neighbor. 
I have massive amounts of sin of commission, things that I actively commit, and then there's tons and tons of things that I don't even know to, to register, sins of omission. I didn't love this person like I should have. I didn't care for this person. I didn't seek out the widow. I didn't take care of the orphan. All these things. When we begin to admit that and call attention back to Jesus, life begins to be experienced by more and more people. So if there's anything in this concluding section of Acts that makes you think, oh my goodness, I'm crushed by this, I can't do this, you're actually in a really good spot to be a missionary for Jesus. Because you can't do it. You can't save somebody. You can't change their heart. You can't give the, take the heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh that would be for Jesus. But God works through you and he wants to demonstrate his power. And the way that this happens, look with me at verse 23. I think one of the lessons we have to see in here is that it's always been, forever will be, about Jesus. When they, had, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, it says. And from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You might think this sermon's long. Apparently, Paul's is a little bit longer, Right? from morning till evening. Like, I got more to say. All right. Wow, you have a lot of slides, Paul, right? Like, he just keeps going and going and going from morning till evening. Now, here's what's fascinating. Don't miss this. One of the key things is, yes, it's all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. Paul is desperate to open up the word of God with people, all right? That he says he expounded, he testified, he's trying to persuade them about the reality of who Jesus is, that the God-man entered, that he lived a sinless life, that he died the death that you and I deserve, and in this, what took place when he rose from the dead three days later is Satan's sin and death were defeated, and when we trust in him, all of Christ's righteousness flows to us, and everything that was our wickedness, our treason, our sin, that all flowed to Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God was poured out on him. He died in your place. He was the substitute, He's offering you new life. So Paul's just, I gotta explain this, I gotta do this. And the way that he does it is he goes to the Bible. He opens up the Bible. In the book of Acts, if you've been studying this with us, it's fair to say that there were numerous miracles that took place. But you notice what's absent here at the end of the story? And it's not to say miracles don't exist, all right? I believe that they do, and I believe that God is still at work in that way. But what I do find interesting and encouraging in this moment, there's no miracle here. Paul's not trying to persuade them by like, oh, guys, look at this, all right? Bring me somebody that's sick. I'm gonna heal them. I'll prove to you that Jesus is alive. He's like, I'm gonna open up the word. I'm gonna talk to you out of the scriptures. That's our invitation. Not just for a person that's up on stage to do that, but for you to open up the word with people. And the more you're doing that in your own sort of chair rhythm, on your own, maybe with your family, with friends, around the table in community, the easier that will even become to open up the word with somebody who may not believe what you believe or has questions, but to just invite them and say, hey, would you be interested in studying the Bible together? Not because you're a Bible trivia winner and you've got all the answers, but because you're just like, this is where I found life. There's a work that's happening here. It's amazing what happens when we simply open up the word. And this is our great invitation. 
Yesterday, we had the, uh, a privilege to partner. We're partnered here with the Winter Park YMCA, and uh, myself and Jessica Green, who's our kids director and outreach director, we serve on the mission committee here. And so we put on, we were part of putting on this event. All right, some of you were there for it, this egg hunt that happened in Phelps Park right behind the YMCA. Uh, mental note for us, like more people showed up to it than had registered on Facebook, so we'll need more eggs next year. All right, but it was a good problem to have. All right, now as exciting as that is, right? I mean, for, for one, I mean, I got my picture taken with the Easter Bunny. Easter bunnies are creepy. I know why children are scared of them. I think I was still scared. But anyway, um, you had the, these moments. I mean, the people are running out into the, you know, the fields, the, the kids gathering the eggs. Some parents, let's just be honest, a little too intense. Like, dude, just calm down. You can share. Like, it's going to be okay. But anyway, so you have all of that. Even looked over at the basketball court there, and apparently a, a few uh, Easter egg hunters didn't make it out alive. I'm not sure why the chalk drawings were there. Like, dude, it went bad at the egg hunt, right? But do you want to know what the highlight is? Yes, it's fun to do that, all these sort of things, right? And I think it's a fun way to serve the community. But the thing started out with this. And so if you see her, you can give her some mad props for this and thanks. Uh, Jessica Green, this is a picture of her. And guess what? Kids are gathered around. And it's crazy. There's, there's literally some hundreds of people that are there trying to gather them under the pavilion. And what's happening here? Telling the story of Easter opening up in a children's Bible in a way that they can understand the word of God. Why? Because it's fun to go after eggs and it's fun to do all that stuff. But you know where the power is? You know where the transformation is? It's in the word of God. It's understanding what Jesus came to do. And there amidst all the chaos and the craziness and people not really paying attention or people wondering like, I don't know if I even signed up for this. I'm not sure. There was the word of God being proclaimed. The gospel got proclaimed in that park yesterday. And I don't know what the fruit of that's gonna be, but the word of God never returns void, that there's something that's happening, that it was either being used to soften people's hearts or to further harden them. But one way or another, the word of God is having an impact. And so here's the key for us. As Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God, it's living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Like it, it pierces. It's going to do the work to cut out sin, to point us to Jesus. Will it feel painful at times? Yes and amen to all of that. But it's what we have. It's our resources. I want to encourage you. Be people of the word. Like as we think about being missionaries, as we think about this work continuing to go out to all the nations, the power is here. This is the story of the gospel from beginning to end. It's a story about Jesus. And we'll conclude with this. I want us to see that as these verses wrap up, as this book wraps up, look with me at verse 24 to 31. We can get excited about this, and we have, but we have to come back. We gotta count the cost. This continuing mission, it's costly on a lot of different levels. Look with me at verse 24. And some were convinced by what he had said, but others disbelieved. So right away, got any interesting responses from people. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed though after Paul had made one statement. Think about this. Paul's got this crowd that's gathered, there's interested, some are more interested than others. But at some point, they all left. Like maybe you've laid in bed at night and been like, ah, I said this one thing. It kind of got awkward after that. Apparently for Paul, like that was this moment. And he's like, I, he said one statement. He says, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. He begins to quote the scriptures to them, trying to call them to really see, to really understand. Go to this people and say, this is the Isaiah's commissioning in Isaiah 6. You will indeed hear but never understand you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their 
eyes and hear with their ears and understand, here's the key, with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. There's a call to turn, to repent. The healing that we long for is much, much bigger than even a physical healing. As much as we might pray for that, desire that. It's a healing of our soul. A repairing of the relationship that was severed in the garden when we said to God, we're gonna do our own thing. We'll take it from here. We've got this. And everything began to unravel. There's a God who's entered in to repair the relationship so that we might be reunited with God, our Father. That we might have that communion, that intimacy, that, that presence. And then from there it flows out so we might be in community with other people. And so Paul says these words. And I have to imagine it had to be difficult. There was interest and then people just start leaving. Like, Bearing witness to the reality of Jesus will be difficult. If I got up here this morning and said, it's amazing, it's awesome, nothing ever goes bad, like every conversation around the dinner table with your extended family over a holiday is gonna be amazing, it's gonna be incredible, all your neighbors are gonna meet Jesus, all your, your friends, all your roommates, all you know, your spouse that doesn't believe what you, whatever, like it's all going to work out. That's just not the reality of the situation. And yet there's a joy to be found in engaging And these words conclude, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So Paul, though, doesn't give up. Paul has this open invitation. People are coming into his home, and at his own expense, he begins to care for people, to tell them about Jesus. And so I want you to see, like, mission will be costly. It'll be costly financially, like, yeah, it costs something to open up your home. It costs something to invite people over for a meal. It costs something, not only financial, but it costs your time. That is one of the most precious commodities around here. We're busy people, and yet, are we stewarding what the Lord has given to us? Are we making time for people? It will be costly of your time. It will be costly, perhaps, to your reputation. People that think you're crazy, even some of the people that are closest to you, might be very put off by what you now believe. It might be you know, relationally tense. It might be emotionally costly. Like, you feel that. I mean, these are people, these are, these are Paul's, like, this is his, his tribe. These are his people, and so many of them are like, yeah, this crazy sect that we've heard about, like, they're very disparaging toward, they don't want anything to do with it. They're gonna be people that you get close to that are suddenly just gonna be like, dude, where'd they go? Like, what happened? It's the reality of it. And we could get discouraged in that unless we come back to the gospel. Unless we come back to what Paul would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And he begins to talk about the riches that are ours. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that idea of know is not simply like, okay, you know some facts about it. But like you know you've experienced the reality of the grace of God. You've been saved by grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich in everything, in every possible way. As Philippians 2 would talk about, he emptied himself as he came to this world, as he became a man. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sake. Let's think about that for a moment. Not some abstract person a couple thousand years ago. You put your name in there. For your sake, he became poor. For your sake, he was willing to leave everything. For your sake, he endured relational loss as he cried out, On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who had known perfect communion, perfect intimacy, all of that is being cut off from the Father. He's the one who knows betrayal as Judas came up with a kiss and said, it's him. He's the one who 
invested in Peter, and then Peter would deny him these three times. He knows the cost. Ultimately, he knows the cup that he was going to drink when he's like, God, if this cup can pass, but not my will, but your will be done, as he prayed in the garden, that he's willing to drink that cup of God's wrath. Why? He was willing to pay it all so that you, by his poverty, as he emptied himself, you might actually become rich. So yes, there's a cost to mission, but it pales in comparison to what Jesus paid and the riches that you have and the inheritance that awaits you and the joy that is to be found in engaging with him. Like you and I, we get to participate. We gotta keep coming back to this and then it concludes by saying this, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness is this idea of there's this candor there's clarity and there's confidence. It's one of the ways this word can be translated. There's a forthrightness, like I gotta tell you about Jesus. There's clarity, let's just cut right to it. We can talk about all these peripheral issues and they're, they're fine and they're interesting, but I wanna talk about his life, death, and resurrection. Can we start there? And there's a confidence, not in ourselves, but in Jesus. It's why Paul would write these words as he's investing in this young missionary named Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two, he says, you know, talk about this without hindrance. We'll close with this. Remember Jesus Christ. We want to be faithful missionaries. We want to be part of this next chapter. Remember Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead, the offspring of David. He's the king of kings. As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Paul's not writing this in a place of indifference. This is near the end of his life. Bound with chains as a criminal. But look at these words. But the word of God is not bound. I may be in chains, I might be on the verge of death, but the word of God is gonna go forth. The word of God is gonna go forth in our generation. And the word of God is gonna go forth. It's not gonna be stopped by the culture and where things are at or people looking at me, oh, this is so bleak and the secularism and all that. See it as opportunity. Look at what the Lord is doing. That there's no longer, increasingly, there's less and less of this kind of middle ground where like, oh, I kind of believe. No, no, there's people that are either like the largest denomination or sort of identification culturally now is like nuns, meaning like not Catholic nuns. Nuns that like identify with nothing. I don't believe anything. Awesome. I can tell you about Jesus. As opposed to lots of people that are like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're, you're like, okay, now I don't know what to do with that. The word of God is not bound. That's our encouragement. We get to be part of this. We get to be part of this next chapter. We get to see the gospel go forth so that God would give his glory and that you and I might experience a great joy. So I want to encourage you to respond in these ways. What is that? maybe that the Lord, we're gonna give some time of reflection here as we respond and worship through song, through prayer. If you need prayer, there'll be members of our prayer team in the back corners. Maybe there's something you just wanna seek out and say, hey, will you pray for me with this? But what is it that you need to confess? Maybe ways you're like, I haven't been engaged in this mission. Then celebrate Jesus and his faithfulness to the mission. It's the only thing that empowers us. And think through what is the Lord calling you to commit to? How can you play your part? Let me just give you two very practical things in this. Easter, right? You can invite somebody to a church service any Sunday. But there are people that are even more apt to accept an invitation. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel weird. Got my hair cut yesterday. Gave the lady an invite card, all right? I gave her a tip as well, but I gave her an invite card, okay? And just said, okay, you know, no no pressure, all right? I felt like an idiot, all right? Like she's got sharp scissors at my head, and I'm talking about church, all right? But the reality is like, hey, what are we going to do? And I say that not like, look at me. I'm like, no, I, I really, I felt stupid. I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'm gonna, okay, well, let's go for it. Like, 
What does it look like to commit to inviting somebody, praying for somebody, investing in somebody's life? That's what these cards are there on your seats for. And maybe for you, commitment means like, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I've never identified in such a way. Like we're gonna celebrate baptism. I mean, you need to sign up for that. We'd love to talk with you about that. And one of our means of identification is this meal. And so here's what we'll do. In just a moment, there's going to be leaders on either side of the stage. And when you're ready, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't need to be a member or partner of this church, but it's a meal for Christians. And you come up, take the bread, dip in the cup, and remember. We get these words out of 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you're ready, I'm gonna pray. And when you're ready, we're gonna respond in worship. We're gonna respond worshiping Jesus through song, through communion. If you're giving, there's opportunities to do that as an act of worship. If you're a guest, don't feel any obligation to participate in that. We're just so grateful that you're here. Let me pray for us. Father, We give you thanks and praise that you sent your son Jesus on this rescue mission. And we thank you that you've given us this book of Acts that ends with a rather abrupt ending that's meant to showcase for us that this isn't the end and that you have work that you're still doing. And you have work for us. You have good work for us to do. And so would you, by the power of your spirit, encourage us that we would embrace our weakness so that the strength of Jesus, of his gospel might be put on display. There's a foolishness about what we proclaim. And yet in the foolishness of God is where we actually find this, the true wisdom. And so we would pray that more people might experience that, that they might come to know you through your church as imperfect and as failing as we are as your bride. We're so thankful for your grace and how you continue to sanctify us, to purify us, and to use us. And so God, now as we respond and worship through song, giving, communion, prayer, all these things, God, I ask that you would get your glory. The name of Jesus, the fame of Jesus would go forth, would be exalted, that more people might celebrate that reality. And as that happens, as you get your glory, that we as your people would experience a great joy. It's in Jesus' good name we pray, amen.